Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is John Berman, the popular co-anchor of CNN's New Day Morning Show and a huge U.S. national teams fan. We've had some great guests lately, including Brendan Aronson, Pia Sunhaga, and Drake Hills. I also encourage you to check out my new podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story. All eight episodes are out, and you can binge all of them to your heart's content. Now, here's my interview with John Berman. Our guest now is John Berman. He is the co-anchor of the morning show New Day on CNN with Allison Camerota. He's had a fascinating career. He has interviewed both me and my wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, on CNN. And for this podcast purposes, he is an active fan of the U.S. national soccer teams. You can find him on Twitter at John Berman. John, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to be here. Am I the only person who's ever interviewed both you and your wife? (laughs) I think you're part of a small group. At this point in, in... uh, there might be a, another person or two at CNN. I actually, I, I know Cuomo has because I'm going to tell you a story from the 2014 World Cup in a second involving Brazil, Cuomo. Brazil, right? Um, but it, it is a select group, and uh, and so uh, I always love watching the interview. My wife, I enjoy watching her on on the TV. She's educating us all much more than I am probably at this <laughs> point uh, in the soccer space. But it's good to have you on the show. It's good to turn the tables a little bit and and have you as an interviewee. Um, I have to admit, the, the moment I crossed the threshold and said it was time to get you on the podcast came last week when you started tweeting about the American soccer player Owen Odesawi, who's <laughs> emerging at Wolves in the Premier League. And that suggests a significant interest what is the source of your soccer enthusiasm? Who are your teams? Uh, it, it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. So soccer is the sport that I played growing up. I, you know, I, I played it growing up and travel and high school. I, I wasn't good enough to play in college in Division One, but that was it was my sport as a player. Um, I've always been a giant sports fan in general, but but my fandom was primarily Boston team sports. So just you know, diehard Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, Bruins fans, and still am. I mean, you know, that is for a long time, but that was my only hobby was watching Boston sports. I always was aware of soccer as a fan, um, it, but it was always it was always the World Cup. Like, I, I'm not even sure that as a teenager, I really knew that there were European club teams that were as big a, as they are. But I knew that there was a World Cup every four years. I knew that the United States occasionally played in it. And then 94... Uh, it was in Foxborough, and I was, uh, you know, I was in my, my early 20s at that point, and I went. And I saw mm-hmm. Argentina play Nigeria, and I saw, you know, short, fat Maradona, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. You know, <laughs> I saw Maradona play in the World Cup, which is amazing. And he you know, he wasn't at his best, but even at like 30% of his best, he was the one of the top three players on the pitch, and it was amazing to see. So I was always a fan. Uh, and then... You know, I got more and more aware of what was going on in Europe uh, after 94. Uh, and, you know, and it just kept on developing. And as a journalist in 2010, 
I was I was at ABC News and I got assigned to go cover the early stages of the World Cup in South Africa. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was amazing. And I actually, uh, you probably don't remember, I interviewed you there in South Africa. Or I, had a chance, I distinctly remember talking to you uh, at Ellis Park when the U.S. was playing Slovenia. Okay. Um, and it was a bigger deal for me meeting you because I'd been reading you. And I'm sure you were <laughs> concentrating way too hard on what was actually going on to talk to some, like, you know, dumb TV journalist who was there covering the news side of it. So anyway, so it just developed and developed and developed. Uh, and, and then it, when my kid, my ki- I have 13-year-old twin boys, and it just exploded once they were born. They were, they're soccer players. Um, they've gotten more and more into it. And it's, you know, soccer's on in the morning. European soccer's on at like 7.30 a.m. So you can wake up on Saturday morning instead of cartoons, you can turn on, you know, the Premier League. And that's just amazing. And so then I, and I always, this is a long answer to your question, and I, I only ever watched it through the, through sort of the lens of which American players were going to be there or playing well. And for until like this year or last year, it was always, oh, they might get on the field or they might go end up on playing for that team. All of a sudden, they're <laughs> everywhere and they're dominating and they're really good. And so I feel as if I've been making a, a 20-year investment that's paying off right now. <laughs> I remember our previous interviews, but I don't remember the one in South Africa. I'm embarrassed. I'm so sorry about that. It was clearly more special for me. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll just have to. I'll just have to live with that now. <laughs> so you've got a crazy work schedule, I imagine. I, I mean, getting up very early to to host a morning show. But it, you're saying that it actually watching soccer does find a way to work into that schedule. Oh my God! So I <laughs> I get home from work, especially now during the pandemic where no one lingers in the office. My show's over at nine. So I'm home by 10-ish, which if, you know, if you want to watch, um, you know, Champions League in the afternoon on a weekday, you know, I got no obligations. You know, at midday on a weekday, I'm golden. I'm just golden. So one of the things I do, you know, when I get home is I, is I check like the foot mob app and I see if they, you know, what daytime games, what what ridiculous cup is going to be broadcast on ESPN Plus, you know, that I or CBS or something that I can watch a game and just have it on. It's just it's just therapeutic to have it on. It is sometimes a good background stuff, even if you're not that invested in either team playing in a game. It's great to hear you're using the FootMob app. I got onto that uh, a few months ago, and it's it's great. I've got alerts set up on American players so that if maybe Serginio Dest is in the starting lineup that day for Barcelona, the second that comes out, an alert comes on my phone. So it's... Uh, it's a pretty great app in terms of keeping track of what's happening. It's fantastic. And what, you know, you say Sergio Dest. I mean, the thing now is if my goal is to watch American players, I can almost watch one every day. There's yeah. almost an American playing every day now. Yeah, it's wild. Even at the top levels of Champions League at this point. Who are your favorite players on the U.S. national teams? And why? Um, so, you know, it, it, it's it's obvious right now. I mean, I, I the Kristen Pulisic thing last year, I just I was never sure if it was for real. You know, it was, there was a big hype machine. He's going to be the next whatever. And then all of a sudden last spring, it was just so real. And I had you just had to accept that he's really, really good. And so it was and I never like Chelsea just in general. You know, I never like the Yankees. I don't like I don't like teams that are always unless they're the Patriots now. But I grew up with the Patriots real good. But, you know, so I'm biased against the the, the teams that are always good. So I, I was predisposed not to be a huge Chelsea fan. But when he 
was their best player, which isn't a gross exaggeration, all last spring. You know, I just it was it was mesmerizing. And then last spring at the same time to have Gio Reyna and I live in Westchester now in New York and, you know, Gio Reyna grew up like, you know, 10 miles from here. And mm-hmm. his father sometimes, you know, is eating at the, the Tex-Mex place that I am. And it's just sort <laughs> of crazy to think that a guy who's that good and that young is up the street. Um, so he he was saying, you know, I think Tyler Adams is phenomenal. And I, I so in in as I started watching him, I start to wonder, well, actually, does he have the most balance in his game or he'll have the most longevity over the longest period of time? So that's a blast to watch. Um, I would say those three guys right now are my favorites to watch. And I will always check first to see when Chelsea, Dortmund, and Leipzig are going to play. And I'll make it a point to try to watch those games. Dest, for me, came out of nowhere this year. I knew nothing about him until this right. year. I don't get B in. So I can't watch Barcelona week in and week out. I can only watch them in Champions League and in the weird cup stuff. So I have to go out of my, you know, it has to be by chance that I get to see him play. We will encourage you to uh, align with our show sponsor, Fanatis, which gets streaming for B in Sports. Just so if you ever have that interest, John. Over the last, during the pandemic, the one thing I've consistently <laughs> dropped money on without thinking about it is, is you know, oh, Peacock. You, so I need to get Peacock to watch soccer? Click. You know, CBS All Access, I need that? Click. You know, so so this is the next thing. So far, I have never deprived myself of one avenue to watching U.S. soccer players overseas. So I suppose that's next. So, you know, the U.S. men's national team hasn't really had that many games over the last year due to the pandemic, which has been tough, I think, for fans. I mean, you see these players emerging and there's this excitement about them, but they haven't really come together very often for the national team. Um how do you feel about Greg Berhalter as as the national team coach? Who, who knows? I mean, honestly, <laughs> the, I don't. This is I'm trying to. I was trying to think of something similar to this period. Do you remember when Star Wars came out and Empire Strikes Back didn't come out right away? There was like an extra long gap. We're in this extra long gap where <laughs> where all of a sudden it's been since the pandemic that all of these American players all of a sudden became this thing, and Berhalter's. I just I can't even you I'm sure I don't remember the last few games before the pandemic. It wasn't they they weren't great and it wasn't these guys if my memory serves. I mean Gio Reyna right. uh, until you know a month ago never got on the field for you know, the US men's national team in a, in a meaningful way. I mean right. so they still haven't and Tyler Adams was hurt before. I mean they've never all played together so I have I have no idea. I mean I have no idea and I think that's one of the major questions. I mean you know We'll find out soon enough. I mean, he's got a lot. He's got a lot of pieces to work with. Uh, you know, you could just go down the list and, and see how we could do it. Yeah. No. I mean, we have uh, you know games. I are scheduled for March during the FIFA window uh, in Europe. Uh, then I think they're still planning. Virus willing to have the semis and finals of the Nations League for Concacaf in June, and then World Cup qualifying starts in September and starts with a vengeance because there's like a ridiculous number of games that are going to be taking place over those next six months to decide if the U.S. does get to the next World Cup. So I think we'll learn more about Greg Berhalter during that stretch. As a, as a U.S. men's national team fan, where do you fall right now on the balance between being excited 
over the young guys at big clubs to mm. scarred from not making the last World Cup. Do you know, a hundred percent excited, a hundred percent excited, because when I go back and think about not making the last World Cup, it just does, it, you know, in retrospect, they, they weren't that good. Uh, you know, it just, it just, uh, it, it, it's probably, I, mean, I think they, they blew it and they should have made it given right. where they were and, and the path that they had. But watching, once it got to be World Cup time and watching the teams there, they didn't deserve to be there. They weren't, they just didn't have the guys. And the fact that I think there'll be, you know, 0% holdover, right? I mean, I can't think of one player. Pulisic's Michael Bradley, maybe. Yeah, 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 Pulisic, who was only on at the end there. Right. Um, I can't think of one guy that they put on the team. Yeah, now it's uh, definitely a new cycle here. Now, the, the last time that the U.S. men were in a World Cup, it was 2014. I actually remember going on CNN's morning show the day of the game uh, in Salvador, Brazil, with Chris Cuomo on top of a, a rickety apartment building in Salvador with a view overlooking the stadium. Cuomo was in full fan mode with the U.S. jersey on. We had a nice conversation that day, despite losing that night to Belgium uh, in the round of 16. Now you're in that role at CNN right. on the morning show. Do you think CNN would send you to Qatar next year for the U.S. in that World Cup? I, I, I would certainly hope so. And I think if, there, you know, if there's a groundswell of, of calls for it, <laughs> that I think it's bound it's bound to have. I've actually been there. I've been to Cutter. I've been to the Ritz Carlton in Cutter. That's where we stationed before the uh, the invasion of Iraq in two thousand three. So it would be a return <laughs> trip under much better circumstances to Doha. Yeah, I, I can think of some potential jokes about comparing the U.S. invasion. Not not a good no, idea, probably no, no, on that no, one. No, no, yeah, exactly. That's interesting. What was your experience like in Qatar? I don't know how long you were there. I've been there once in 2013. It was kind of a weird place, I thought. I, I think it's out. It feels like outer space to me. It feels like a, a not um, earthly country or city because no, no one's out. I mean, you know, it's, generally speaking, it's too hot to be out. So the streets are empty. Um, there's, there's hardly any such thing as a Qatari. And I, I'm not – because there's – most of the population – or South Asian workers or people that work there, uh, but aren't ethnically Qatari. It's just weird. It was weird, and I was there at a very weird time, also. Right. Uh, but you know, the 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 places where I did go and the places that I did see are were incredible and ornate and beautiful. I think the country's expanded infrastructure wise like fifty fold since I was there, not even twenty years ago. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and I'm curious, like. Are there any favorite moments that you've had following the the U.S. men's or women's national teams over the years? First of all, I, I love the women's team. I've never been there for the for the women's game, but but watching my favorite thing about the women's team in general is with my thirteen year old boys. They have no dis, there's no distinction in their head um, between between the men and the women. Uh, and, and they love the women's team. And the fact that the women win sometimes puts them on a higher pedestal than the men, if you know what I mean. And I don't know yeah. if that's just my boys. It's probably just kids their age. And that's a, it's a wonderful thing. And, and you almost don't want to bring it up to them because you don't want to mark something that as un, being unusual when it's just the way it should be. So in general, mm -hmm. that's my feeling about the women's team. It's just fantastic. And, uh, and, you know, last year was so much fun to watch them 
was it last year? Everything's run together. My brain is, my time frame has now become so compressed over time that it's hard for me to tell when was last year the year before. But watching them in their last World Cup was, I, I thought, terrific. Um, with the men, um, I remember, there's there's a lot that I remember. You know, I, um, you know, just 2010, being there, seeing them tie England in a game that they were more or less outplayed. And England was just so cocky and it was just so wonderful <laughs> to see that tie. Um, the Slovenia game, which I was at, was also, being at Ellis Park was just so cool. And that whole thing was just neat. I wasn't at the Algeria game. Um, so I wasn't able to see that, oh, wow. you know, Landon Donovan heroics there. It was all, it was all sort of compressed. So, so being there for those were amazing. Uh, and I remember the Belgium game in, in 2014. I was, I, I, I didn't travel for that, but I was filling in for Anderson Cooper that night. And I remember I was the, I made the Anderson show team put on, on like one of the big monitors, the game. And so instead of preparing for the show, I'm just standing in front of this giant monitor yelling at the screen and just watching Tim Howard single-handedly keep them uh, in the game and, you know, and then Wondolowski, all that stuff. It was, so that was, it was a, it was more or less a great moment, not a bad moment, even though they ended up winning. And so that was, that was terrific as well. Oh, you know, the funny thing um, is that in 2002, right, Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I was ABC News and I was filling in, I had just made the shift to on air as an on air correspondent. I was filling in at their overnight show, World News Now, which is a terrific overnight show. If you ever wake at two a.m., they do. They've done a good job historically and amazing. David Muir was an anchor of World News Now for mm-hmm. a while, but I did like a four month stint as anchor of World News Now, and part of it was during the World Cup. And because the World Cup was in you know in South Korea and Japan, the games were on when I was awake and at work. So it's as if mm-hmm. soccer is telling me it wants to be watched by me because my schedule is always <laughs> perfect. So I watched that entire World Cup, um, and that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, to see, you know, does Brian Mc- I always liked Brian McBride because all I did was score goals. You know, mm-hmm. it, it felt like a very American type player. It, it felt like putting a tight end or, you know, a, a linebacker on, on the soccer pitch and say, go score goals. And he actually did. And I just yeah. thought that was incredibly cool. <laughs> well, you certainly spent part of your career reporting on stories in countries outside the United States. Have you had any experiences with the soccer culture in any of those countries? Uh, in South, well, in South Africa, uh, when I was there covering the World Cup, that almost doesn't count because it was the country was soccer crazy at that point. The Bafana Bafana thing was was awesome. But I had a chance to play some soccer with some kids there, and that was so much fun. They put me in goal when I was playing <laughs> because they said that's the only place Americans could play. And they, they, you could make a case, at the time you could make a case that they were right that if given that I was American, the place that I should be is in goal. So I, I played there. Um, you know, in, anywhere you go in the world, soccer is is a bigger deal than it is here. Even as, is, as it's getting bigger here, but it's just a part of the it's just a key part of the culture there. Right. So a lot of the time I spent in Iraq and Baghdad between um, '03 and '08, I, I would cycle in in our Baghdad bureau. You know that there was always a time when there were league games on and people were all sitting around the TV within the bureau together. And that's what you would do. You would watch the games together and it brought people together. And that Mm -hmm. was just a cool, that was a very cool thing. Let's take a quick break from our interview with John Berman. And I'll ask you a question. Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga and get frustrated because it's not available on your cable or satellite system? You should try a streaming service I use that I love. 
It's called Fanatis with a Z, and you can watch all the action from La Liga and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from France, Brazil, and Argentina. Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports and English and Spanish, Goal TV, and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Now, in doing my research for this, there were a few things that popped up which I found interesting. You appeared on a Celebrity Jeopardy episode in yes. 2015 and won that day, beating Mo Rocca and Wendy McClendon Covey to win $50,000 for charity. What was the most memorable thing from your Jeopardy experience? Uh, winning? Because <laughs> I, mean, I didn't think I was going to because Mo is so smart and, and Wendy was super smart also. No, it's, it's, it's so stressful. Um, I can't tell you if for people who always wonder what, it, you know, what is it like? It's really stressful because he asks a lot of questions and, and you, there's this, um, the, the struggle is with not just knowing the answer, but there's this whole buzzer thing that goes on, which is that if you buzz too early on Jeopardy, your answer doesn't count. You, you cycle to the back of the queue. So you've got to time your, it's, it's an agility test as much as it is an intelligence test. So you've got to time the buzz. And the whole time, just trying to time the buzz. One of the first questions, the answer was Fenway Park. And I, you know, I didn't get it because I buzzed it. I mean, if, you know, it's the one answer that I know before anything else. And I didn't get it because I buzzed too early and Mo got it. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be an incredibly long day. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was totally stressful, but I'm glad I did it. But it's one of these things where uh, my, my memory of it is completely colored by the fact. Had, had I not won, I would, you know, start sweating the minute you asked me about it. It was really not a pleasant experience, except for the winning of it. I have heard stories about the button being a source of frustration oh. for people. And you miss not getting a Fenway Park question is a little like on the, the famous Cheers episode when Cliff Clavin is on and beer is one of the, yes. <laughs> the categories and he doesn't get it. No, it was, it was, yeah, it wasn't fair. I knew it. I just didn't buzz at the right time. And then, and then actually, I had this run of Shakespeare. The, the thing I did well on was Shakespeare, which I guarantee you Mo knows more about me than Shakespeare. Uh, about Shakespeare, but I was hitting the buzzer at the right time. So I, I got uh, I got in the sweet spot. So I also noticed you graduated from Harvard, summa cum laude, which in English is highest honors. Uh, that, summa... I, that was magna. I did, I did not. If, if you read that, that's a, really? that's, yeah, it's magna. Okay. I promise. Okay. Well, then somebody on, on the old Wikipedia, this is a, a journalist lesson, don't use uh, Wikipedia as a red check source, but... Magnus still pretty darn impressive. Uh, that's high honors. What? Yes. What did you study there? Uh, I did. It's, it's there's a major there called social studies, which isn't like you know third grade social studies. It's this thing that's it's like political theory. Um, it's uh, like Max Weber and Emil Durkheim, 
and they make you read Karl Marx, not just the Communist Manifesto, which is this thick, but they made you read Das Kapital, which is, you know, 17 <laughs> inches thick. It was that was uh, that was my major. Um, and it was it was fun. It was interesting. Nice. I also noticed at Harvard it said you were the president of the Hasty Pudding Theatricals. What did that involve and how is that different from the Hasty Pudding Club? Uh, it's a drag show, Grant. Uh, it involved. <laughs> okay. it, it involved wearing heels uh, and, and dressing up as a, as a woman. Um, I actually met my wife doing the Hasty Pudding Theatricals, which I like to say makes me probably one of the only guys on earth who can say he met his wife in a drag show um, or doing a drag show. But uh, it, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a drag show. So it's, uh, the, uh, and it's different than the, the club and the theatricals. 150 years ago or whenever it started, the theatricals was a show that was put on by the club, which is one of these. The club is a, just just what you would imagine, like a, a Harvard, uh, a Harvard social club um, in the social club put on the play. And then I don't know exactly what year, but sometime like the 50s or the 60s, it's the, the play split or at least became independent and you would audition. It wasn't just from the club. You would audition for the show. Uh, and just do the show. Now, I do wonder, if you were hosting a sports show, at mm. a certain point, the production staff would have had some fun and posted a picture of you from your uh, your drag days. Has yes. that happened on the news side at all yet? You know, it's, it's not, it's not a, it, there's a picture of me in drag with Michelle Pfeiffer that, oh. uh, that, that occasionally um, makes the rounds. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it's you know it's 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 a mat it's a matter of public record, um, and, and, and it's, I, I think it's I think it's been on TV. You know these 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 things happen if you're gonna, if you're going to do a drag show, you need to anticipate uh, that sooner or later people will see see said show. We're winding down with John Berman, and I appreciate his willingness to listen to my non soccer questions here. Um, at ABC's World News Tonight, you won an Edward R. Murrow Award in 2004, which is pretty amazing. You also won a James Beard Award in 2010, and that award is for the for work in the world of restaurants, culinary topics, things like that. What was the story that you did for that? So I did a story uh, for Nightline. Um, it was during the, the recession, the, the awful Great Recession, and, uh, and restaurants that had been serving super high-end steaks, no one was buying, you know, people were, were tightening their belts. So they started doing gourmet burgers because they could sell the burgers at a, at a lower price point. And I got to go around to all these, like the Spotted Pig had a ridiculous burger uh, in, in Manhattan and uh, a few other places were doing the same thing. Pat, La, La, Frida, La, La Frida Steaks or Meats, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know about that, which makes yeah. phenomenal meat. They started grinding up some of their highest highest quality steak into burgers, but it sold and it did well. I had a producer, Sarah Rosenberg, who's a terrific television producer, who's actually since gone to work for restaurants. Um, I did a bunch of food pieces with her. She was inspired by it. I, at that time, didn't know anything uh, about food. So I did this all the food stories sort of from the perspective of – discovering it for the first time being a non-food guy it being introduced to the foodie world you got you you and you and your wife are big i always see pictures on your instagram of stuff you've mm -hmm. cooked you're a you're a big foodie i'm not so i did a ton of pieces and that was the best one um as sort of a, a neophyte uh and it was it was fun it was good stuff i learned a ton nice now i have seen you 
on one day host the CNN morning show, and then the next day you're covering for Anderson Cooper on his evening show. How early do you have to get up for the morning show? How late do you have to be up for the evening show? How do you pull them off in the same week? Um, so to, for New Day, which starts at 6 a.m., I wake up at about 3. And mm. then, um, <laughs> right, but that's not, if I go to bed at 9, that's six hours sleep, which isn't terrible, right? I mean, there's, there, it's, it, I, I used okay. to, for a while, I anchored an early start, which is 4 to 6 a.m., and for that, I'd have to wake up at, like 1245 and there's no way to do the math there. So, so the math just doesn't work in your favor there. So for this, I get at least, I get usually around six hours. If I'm doing Anderson, then, you know, that's from eight to nine and I don't usually get home until 10 and you're kind of wired. And then you, you, there are days you don't sleep as much. So I nap this today we're taping. People won't know this because it appears in podcasts with no time. It's timeless, except we're taping in the early afternoon and I've already napped today. You were gracious okay. enough to, to do it in the early afternoon. So I'm a big fan of mid-morning naps. Okay. So often I wake up from my mid-morning nap and then watch soccer because it's on. Okay. You know, like it's, 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 it's not a bad life. It's not If you don't mind not sleeping eight hours, it's not bad stuff. <laughs> okay. And then my last question is pretty straightforward. Who else at CNN is a soccer fan? I'm trying to think if there's on-air talent, if there's on-air people who are soccer fans. Well, look. First of all, so soccer is super international, and CNN is super international. Right. So everyone overseas uh, is a giant is a giant soccer fan that we have. Um, and, and it, although a lot of them are American football fans, also Frederick Pleikin, who's our correspondent, <laughs> uh, who's German, um, is the biggest Redskins fan ever, and I just love. So he loves talking about football with me. Um, I don't. There, there are some producers um, who are big soccer fans, and I, and they're big, big soccer fans. A couple on my show, a couple on Anderson's show, that we're always talking about soccer. Um, but there aren't. I'm just trying to think if there are any big fans. I don't think we have any people who are quite as into it uh, as I am um, it, domestically. And yeah, no, not right. not in the U.S. But I'm going to bring them along. And I, I, the next World Cup where we get to the semis. It'll be a much it'll be a much bigger deal. And I'll get everyone talking about it full time. I am looking forward to this. I will hold you to this that in in Qatar that uh, if the U.S. qualifies, I think they got a pretty good shot um, that uh, that we will connect on the ground post virus. It'll be great. Can I ask you one soccer question since I have you here? Yeah. In, in, so who's the back line? So I want to know who the back line is. <laughs> And is your striker, is Josh Sar? is he going to be Josh Sargent or, you know, this guy at Schalke now who does nothing but score five goals a Matthew game? Matthew Hoppe, right? yeah, yeah. He came out of nowhere. Um, I mean, here's what I would say. Backline, your center backs would be... Brooks. Start Brooks, with Brooks, as yes. Brooks is one of them. And maybe Chris Richards will be far enough along by then. Um, In the center, you'd move him to the center? I would because I think it's more of a natural position for him than even though he's played out wide some for mm-hmm. for Bayern. Um, but we'll see where, where Chris Richards is. Uh, I like Dest at right back. That's his natural position. But the issue then becomes who do you play at left back? And that's where Anthony Robinson, I think, is the natural left back mm-hmm. option. But Dest could also play left back, which would allow Reggie Cannon to play right back. So I think among those three guys, I think those are the two positions. Um, though we'll see. We'll see. And then um, 
Uh, Chris and I actually had this conversation on a podcast earlier this week. Who would you start at center forward? Because it's not quite at the same level no. as Reyna, Polisic, those guys. Uh, Sargent, it, it, that's my guess for the World right. Cup itself. And, you know, we have a year and a half, but he's a young guy. And, and, and we'll see what Matthew Hoppy does. We have a, a pretty small sample size so far right, in games. Right. Uh, it's, it's very Linsanity-like what he's done uh, yes. so far. Yes. But, uh, you know, you hope that, that he continues to, to do that, obviously. So there's some things we need to find out, but it sounds like you're, you're on the polls here, man. I'm into it. I'm, I'm so ready. Like I said, it's just been a really fun time to be a U.S. fan and, and watch all these players thrive. It's been terrific. John Berman is the co-anchor of the morning show New Day on CNN with Allison Camerota. You can find him on Twitter at John Berman. John, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank John Berman as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.